feelings this morning. Ouch, man. Uh, thank you. Hey, thank you. Hey, there we go. I need a little. Everybody needs to be told that they're doing something good, right? My name is Jerry. Apparently, I'm not very funny, but I'm glad that all of you are here with us this morning. In behalf on, on behalf of Dino Mike, I just want to welcome all you kids in the room. Thank you for being here for family service. I heard you singing, and man, you sing so good. Us adults could learn from you for sure. So as we begin this morning, I have a question that I want all of you to think about. This is for kids and adults alike. And I want you to be honest, okay? First service, there were a couple people, I don't, I don't feel like they were really honest. It's not a trick question. It's not a hard question. How many of you enjoy doing chores, right? How many of you enjoy doing chores? All right, no hands in the room. I'm ignoring this hand right here because I don't believe, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I have four amazing, awesome children. They were in here last service and I, I love to brag on them. They're, they're awesome kids. But I asked them the other day, hey, do you guys enjoy doing chores? And they were like, no. Although one of my sons said, well, when you pay me, yeah. And I'm like, that's not the point. That's not the point of a chore. In fact, kids, I just want to let you in on a little secret, okay? One of the top five reasons parents have kids is so that you will do our chores for us, okay? Can I get, hey, parents, can I get, okay, first service. Now, kids, you don't like that. Have your own kids someday. They can do your chores. That's just the way that it works. So I have another question, and this one's a little trickier, but I want you to think about it, okay? How many of you have something in your life that you really like or you enjoy, you love doing, but over the course of time, that thing, whatever that thing is, somehow it started to feel like a chore. It just wasn't fun anymore. You didn't enjoy it. Now, I think, you might think, I can't think of anything. That's kind of a weird question. Well, I think we all have something like that. In fact, I know I do. When I was in fourth grade, I decided to join the orchestra. I thought it would be really cool to learn how to play a musical instrument. So I chose the violin. I joined the orchestra. And I was really excited. I thought it was the coolest thing to learn how to make music. But if you've ever learned to play an instrument like the violin, you know there's a couple things that you got to do. You got to learn how to read music. And you have to practice, 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 right? You don't, get, you don't just get good. You have to practice. And so when I first started playing the violin, it was awesome. I loved doing both of those things all the time. But then a few years later, I started middle school. And middle school is a challenge. And so many, so many things are happening in middle school, right? You know, first of all, you got all these schools that come together to make one really big school. And nothing's really easy anymore, right? It's, it's harder to be on the basketball team or the football team. I certainly learned that lesson in middle school, but the orchestra got bigger in middle school. And the standards for being in the orchestra got higher for me in middle school, especially if you had a conductor like Mr. Elmore. Now, when I think back years and years later, I think I'd have to say, you know, I think Mr. Elmore is an excellent conductor. In fact, a few years ago, he led our high school to become state champs in orchestra, which is really awesome. So way to go, Mr. Elmore. But when I was in the seventh grade, I just want you to know I thought that Mr. Elmore was the devil's little brother because he made us practice for 30 minutes every single day. And he made us turn in a sheet of paper signed by our parents that verified that we had practiced 30 minutes every single day. And I just didn't like that. I didn't like being told to do that. And so I trust you guys. Don't tell my parents this, okay? I'm a little nervous right now. I started to record myself practicing. Yeah, I know. And so I, Technically, I practiced one point at some point in time, and I'd go up to my room and hit play. I was just frustrated. I didn't want to have, I know, I'm a terrible person. I'm a, kids, don't be like me. Don't be like your pastor, kids, okay? That's what the parents are going to say to their kids on the way home. Do not be like your pastor. I've talked to Jesus about it. We both agree I'm going to be in timeout for just a little while when I get to heaven, okay? I've confessed it. It's don't, 
Here's why I did it, though. I feel justified in this. Mr. Elmore ruined it for me. Orchestra wasn't something that I wanted to do anymore, something I had to do. And so it just felt like a job. It felt like a chore. And so I just dropped it. I was done. I walked away and I thought, I don't, I don't, it feels like a job to me. And I wasn't ready to have a job yet. Now, I bet if we went around the room, we could all say, oh, yeah, I've had something like that before. In fact, I got one for you. How many of you, by show of hands, have a brother or a sister? Okay. Now, this applies to another area of life. If you have a brother or sister, has loving your brother or sister ever felt like a chore to you? Yes, of course. You guys are so much more responsive than the first service. Thank you. It's good to know that you're listening. Maybe it's because they're older than you, or maybe it's because they're younger than you. Maybe they wipe their boogers on you, or maybe they're just, they smell bad. I don't know what it is, but something about loving your siblings is really hard. It feels like a chore, doesn't it? Mainly because your parents say, you have to love your brother. Right? And all of a sudden, it sounds just like you have to take out the garbage. It feels like a chore. Now, parents, we are adults, we laugh. But I want you to be honest. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. But is there somebody in your life, a relationship that you have that you used to like or love somebody, and now it just feels like a chore? It is not fun, and you don't want anybody to know you feel that way. But you don't know what to do about it. And it feels like a chore. Okay, kids, I need your help. I need all your kids, put your hands up like this. These are earmuffs. I want you to put them on for me, okay? Put them on tight. I got to talk to your parents about something. Okay, parents. Does parenting ever feel like a chore? Does parenting, I get an amen over here. You love those little gremlins because they're your little gremlins. I love my gremlins. But oh my goodness, parenting can feel like a chore, can't it? It's just hard work. You love them. Okay, take your, take your muffs off. I just asked your parents a question and they nodded. They love you very much. That's all you kids need to know. Your, your parents love you so much. One day, kids, you're going to have a job, and your job's probably going to feel like a chore. You're going to love it when you start, but then you're going to meet the people you work with. Oh, they can be a chore. Or just the work in general, and you're going to be driving to work one day, and you're going to be gripping the steering wheel so tight, and you're going to be like, I'm, it's feel like a chore to me. It feels like work because it's work. It's not something you get to do. It's something that you have to do. And to some degree or another, that's just the way life works. There will be things that we enjoy that will feel like a chore. And as it turns out today, we're gonna to see a story where Jesus talks about something that was never, ever, 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 ever meant to, to be or feel like a chore, but more often than not, it becomes a chore. And so if you wanna follow along in this conversation that Jesus is having, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. Now in the Bibles around the room, in the adult Bibles, that's on page 682. Or if you have one of these kiddos Bibles on the floor around you, it's on page 1065, chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew. And last week, if you were with us, we learned who this Matthew guy is. And we learned how he became friends with Jesus. And he liked Jesus so much, he went on to write a whole story. He captured like a biography of Jesus's life. And he tells us where Jesus went and what he did and what he said and what he was like. And he wanted us to know how Jesus can help us get to know and love and follow God better. And at the very end of chapter 11, Matthew records this conversation that Jesus is having with a group of people. But before I tell you what Jesus said, I want you to understand who he's talking to. And I want you to try to put yourself in their shoes. Because for starters, the people that Jesus was talking to, they were a lot like us. They were actually just like us. Normal, everyday people, some moms and some dads and some kids. Some of them had jobs, maybe some of them didn't. But they, here's the thing that I, I'm convinced that they all wanted more than anything they all wanted to know God and they wanted to love God and they wanted to know how they could have a relationship with God. Now, there's one thing about this particular group of people that you really need to understand and appreciate because it adds into the story here. These people 
were Jewish. They were Israelites. And here's what that meant in that day. They were taught to obey the law of God, God's law that had been given to the people of Israel 1,500 years before Jesus walked the earth when God had given, him, given Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Now, when you hear God's law, I want you to think of the Ten Commandments because it was the Ten Commandments plus some others. And if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, they're like, hey, do this and don't do that, right? And when we hear that, it sounds like this overbearing list of chores, doesn't it? Do this and don't do that. But here's what you need to know. In Jesus' day, that's not necessarily how the people viewed it. They were thankful for God's law. They viewed God's law as a gift because they believed that God had given his law to them because they were special. And, they, and God wanted to reveal himself to them and, and God wanted them to know who he was and how they could relate to him so they could have a relationship together. And all that's really, really, really good. But there's a couple things about God's law that you need to know. For starters, when God gave it to his people, he wanted to make it really clear that this was his standard of living. This is what it looks like to be holy and perfect before me. And so it was a, it was a standard for them to strive towards. But here's the thing about God's law that God knew and everybody else knew. It was next to impossible for anyone to perfectly live out God's law. And when I say that, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't even sound fair. But here's what you know about you and I know about me. Do you always enjoy doing what you know you're supposed to do? Because if you're like me, you probably do what you want to do sometimes, right? And God knew that that would be the case. Here's my law, but people are like, I don't always want to do that. So God made ways for us to be forgiven when we break his law so, we, so that we could still have a relationship with him. So there's that side of the law. But then, get this, there were religious leaders and teachers like Mr. Elmore. And they came and they started wanting to put rules on top of God's laws. Now, it was already hard enough to keep God's law, but they started stacking rules on top of it, which made it even harder not just to obey, but to think that God even loved them in the first place. And so, for example, one of God's laws that he had given was on a certain day of the week, you were not to work, you were going to rest, and you were going to worship God. And that sounds like a really good thing. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we gather together on Sunday mornings. We kind of set aside a day of the week where we come together corporately, kind of like this. But the religious leader said, okay, well, on that particular day, you can only walk so far from your house. And if you take one step beyond this, you have sinned and you have broken God's law. He is mad at you and you're a bad person. Or on that day that you're not supposed to work and you're only supposed to rest and worship, if you lift more weight than this amount, well, you've broken God's law. God's mad at you and you're a bad person. And they did that with all of God's laws. And as you can imagine, the people started to feel like, well, this is just a big list of chores. I don't, like this at, I don't like this at all. And here's the saddest part about it. The people thought that's the way God wanted them to feel. And so they started feeling very tired from always having to do their chores to make God happy. And they were overwhelmed with keeping track of what they could and what they couldn't do, what they should and what they shouldn't do. And they were discouraged because they never felt like they were good enough for God to actually love them. And I want you to take a moment and put yourself in their shoes. Just imagine what it would be like to feel like that, where you just think, man, I gotta be so good in order for God to love me. And, and I don't know about you, but here's what I know about me. I 
tend to mess things up, and a lot of times I feel pretty messed up. And if, if the goal, if the name of the game is being good enough, well, I'm out, like, right away. And so if I were honest, if I were one of those people, I would just ask this question. What is the point? Why bother? I mean, if God only loves people that are good enough, I know me well enough to know I try hard, but I am not good enough. I'm not good all the time. In fact, I'm not very good. At, you can ask my parents. I'm not very good at doing my chores. And so if, if, that's what, if that's the name of the game, God, I'm out because I just, I'm never going to be good enough. So, so why bother? What's the point? And here's the thing. I bet, you can, I bet you can relate to those people, can't you? Because I bet in some way or another you have some religious chores that someone has taught you or that you've made up for yourself. And just like those people, I got to do this and I got to do this. And oh, man, somebody, somebody else does this. And well, they look pretty. Maybe I should do that. And it just it feels exhausting. And you keep wondering, well, am I good enough? How, how would I know? Because if the standard's up here and I'm just way down here. Now, if you've ever felt that way before, and if you've ever felt like worn out and run down and frustrated, I just want you to pay really close attention to what Jesus says next. Because when he's talking to those people, I think what he has to say for them, he's actually saying to us, and he's talking specifically about feeling worn out and run down spiritually. Listen to what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Listen to these words. Come to me, all of you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, this story is only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I looked in other Gospels to see kind of if I could learn more about it. And so I had to picture in my mind, what would this be like? And I just picture Jesus walking over and picking up a megaphone and picking it up and... <coughs> Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Can I have your attention, please? And everybody looks over at him, and he says this. If you're stressed about life, if you are sad and depressed because you don't know if anybody anywhere loves you, if you're tired of feeling like a phony, if you wonder if you have what it takes, or you're just feeling run down and worn out because you've been trying way too hard for way too long to be better than you know you really are, if you're tired and you are burdened, I am talking to you. And if I'm in the crowd, I'm leaning in a little bit. Okay, Jesus, you have my attention. Look at what he says. Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, what they probably expected Jesus to say, and I bet what you might think Jesus would say, because I think Jesus is saying this all the time, what they might have expected him to say is, hey, guess what? You need to do better. You need to try harder. You just need to push through. But thankfully, that's not what he says. He says, come over here to me. Come over here. I want to help you understand what it really looks like to know and love and experience God. And he doesn't lay down a bunch of chores for them to do. He just gives them an invitation to get to know him better. Now, remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to a bunch of people that are religiously and spiritually worn out. They are burdened because there's this list of chores that they feel like they have to do in order for God to even be happy with them, much less love them. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you got your list and you're always working the list and you try so hard, but you're just, it's just, it's exhausting. I, you know what I think Jesus is really saying in plain English? Hey, why don't you just stop and take a break for a minute? 
It's break time. Just take a break. Put it down. Come over here. I just want to talk to you. I just, I just want to, I mean, you look, you look exhausted. You don't even look like you're having fun. Come over here. Let's talk. And he says, come to me. Now think about this. That's 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's not like we can go and say, okay, at Tuesday at noon, I'm going to meet Jesus at Bar Louie and we're going to have lunch. It's not like a certain place at a certain time. He's saying, come. So what's he mean when he says, come to me? I want you to think about this. I think he is giving us an offer. We're moving in this direction. We're trying to do our things. He's like, why don't you just put all that stuff down and turn around and just move, take a strategic step in my direction. Come over here where I am. I want to I show you a better way. Because what you're doing, it's not working. You don't even look happy. Let me, let me help you find what it is that you're looking for. And then look at what he says in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Your soul, my soul, is the part of us that God has created to be eternal, to live on forever somewhere. And Jesus says, would you like to like rest in that part of you? I want to help you. But he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke, if you don't know this, a yoke is a tool that a farmer would use. It looks just like this. It's a big piece of wood, and you would put a cow or an oxen in here, and this is what it looks like when it's on an animal. And think about this. If one cow or oxen is strong, two is actually stronger. Things, you can move more weight that way. So this is what a yoke looks like. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, time out, time out, time out. Jesus just said, come to me if you're weary and burdened, I'll help you find rest. I, I like that idea, but now you're saying that he's going to put a big piece of wood on my back? That sounds like chores. We all agreed we don't like that. Actually, that's not what Jesus is saying here. This is really interesting. In those days, a religious leader's yoke was their teaching. And so to take on a teacher's yoke meant that you were going to align your life with that teacher. Literally and figuratively, it meant that you would learn how to follow their example and to learn to be like them. Now, what was the yoke of the religious leaders of Jesus's day? Do more and more and more and more and more. And it just was a burden. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't do, come. Come to me. I want to show you a different I want to show you a different way. I think in essence what Jesus is saying here is come over here and learn to walk with me. Let me show you how to move at my pace. I mean, if you look back at the picture of that yoke, did you notice if you're yoked to someone or something, can one of you get way ahead of the other? No. So Jesus says, look, I'm going to help you, but I also want to show you how to pace things just a little bit better because you're exhausted, you're worn out. And here's the best part. He promises to give us rest for our souls. But listen to what he says in verse 30. He goes one step further and he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the coolest thing I learned about this whole verse, I've, I've heard this verse a number of times before. Many of you could probably repeat it back to me later in the lobby. But when I learned this, I've thought about this all week. I've actually tried to pray through this. The word easy in verse 30 can literally be translated as fits well. For my yoke 
fits well, Jesus has said. said I, don't, I don't want to give you a bunch of chores that are going to burden you. That doesn't fit you well. That doesn't fit anybody well. Jesus says, I, I want to give you a yoke that's going to fit the way God wants it to so your life will fit the way God intends for it to. And again, if I'm just being honest, there are so many areas of my life that need to fit me better for one reason or another. They just don't fit well at all, and I can't figure out why, and it's probably because something is off. And Jesus says, oh, I just want to help life fit you better, and it sounds really good, doesn't it? And he says, it's possible, but here's step number one. You have to come to me. You can't be over there doing your thing. Come over here to me. And in theory, like we could just breeze on past this and say, so go do that, right? But I'm going to guess that many of you are like me. And you don't realize it, but somewhere on your person or in your mind, you have your list of religious chores. This is Jerry's list of religious chores. And I don't like, I would never want you to know that I have this list. And you wouldn't want me to know that you have a list. I see some of you smiling because, you know, oh yeah, I got one of those, right? And I bet if we were to compare notes, I bet what's on your list and what's on my list, I bet they're pretty close. And here's the thing, where did your list come from? Because some of the things on my list were taught to me or some of the things I observed from other people. And so like some of the things on my list are the first thing when I wake up in the morning, I basically have to sprint out of bed and go find a, a chair to start reading my Bible and praying because if not, man, I just assume God is mad at me. And so I got to re- read my Bible a certain amount and I got to pray for a certain amount of time and I got to pray in a certain way. And some of the things on my list used to be like, you got to dress a certain way and you got to think a certain way. And not just, I, some, one of the things on my list personally is I just want to be not just a good dad, but the best dad ever, the best husband ever. And I got my, my church to not church percentage needs to be really high because that makes me feel really good about myself. And I got to give a certain amount of money. And that's just my list, my list. And I bet you have a list too. But you know what's sad about the list? The list isn't the point. When it comes to me knowing God, it's, my list is actually a hindrance to me. It's a hindrance to you. If there's anything that we would need to learn about our list, I think it's might need to make a new list. And I might just need to say, Jesus is the point. And it's really scary, isn't it? Because if you've got a list and you're working a list, you, oh, done, check, already. But here's the thing that Jesus would want us to know. He's the point. He's the point. The point isn't to have a bunch of chores that you do to try to make God happy. The point is to know God personally. And Jesus says, oh, would you like that? Well, come to me. I'm the point. And here's the problem with the religious leaders of Jesus's day and the religious rules of our day. They miss the point. They make the point about how good we can be or how we can make ourselves better than other people. And that's not the point. Because when it comes to knowing God, you know what? Jesus has always been, and Jesus will always be the point. I mean, that's the story of Scripture from from beginning to end. And here's what's really cool. When we learn to make Jesus the point of our lives, we don't have to worry about what we're going to do or what we're not going to do because he promises to show us a better way, a life that will fit us Better. And when we make Jesus the point, you know what? He helps us figure out how to use our time in a way that honors him best. And when we make Jesus the point, he helps us manage our resources in such a way that we celebrate wanting to give them away because it helps other people. And when we make Jesus the point, you know what we actually learn to do? 
we learn to love people the way Jesus did, and it, it's so different than the way the world loves people. When we make Jesus the point, here's what's really crazy, you guys. He wants to use us to change the world the way he did, but it all starts when Jesus is the point. Now, I'm gonna guess that some of you are like me, and you've been following Jesus for a while, and you say, oh yeah, I made Jesus the point of my life a while back. But are you clinging to this? Do you have one of these? I, I do. I'm just gonna be honest with you, I do, and I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. This says you will never be enough. This says, oh, it's taken care of. So if you've been following Jesus for a while, I just wanna challenge you, make a list, make a physical list this week and rip it up and throw it away and start a new list that just says Jesus. Jesus is the point and pray, Jesus, you're the point. Help me, I need to think differently. I need to do differently. And here's the thing, on your list, he might say, hey, I mean, I would love for you to pray because we get to interact that way. I would love for you to read my words so you could hear my voice. I would love for you to join a group. I would love for you to give your money. But if I'm not the point, none of that stuff's gonna matter. So the things on the list aren't bad, but if this isn't the top of the list, forget about it. So if you're feeling weary and burdened, you've been following Jesus for a while, start a new list, one item. But I also know there's some of us in the room, we've never made Jesus the point. And Jesus said a lot of things about a lot of things, but one of the things he said was, hey, I just would want you to know, when it comes to knowing your heavenly father, I'm the point. And if you've never made Jesus the point of your life, he says that's a really important decision. In fact, here at Genesis, we believe that making Jesus the point of your life is the most important decision you're ever gonna make. And in a few weeks, we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna celebrate on Easter Sunday, people being baptized to say, you know what? I got off course. That wasn't the point. And when they're baptized, you're saying, oh, Jesus is the point. And so if you've never been baptized or you're curious about baptism or you were sprinkled when you were young, or maybe at some point you made Jesus the, the point, but you've run away, I would just love to talk with you about maybe recalibrating your life around this idea. What would it look like for every single one of us to make Jesus the point? Can you imagine can you imagine what he might want to do in and through us? Just imagine what he would, how he would want to change your life. I probably wouldn't be a very grumpy husband and father because if he's the point, I'm just, I'm just doing all those things differently. Now, I want to read something for you. It comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, but it's from the message. It's a paraphrase of the passage we just read, and I read this this week, and I just I love the way that these words come off the paper. Listen to this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? If so, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus says, and you'll learn how to live freely lightly. If you are feeling weary and burdened in your relationship with God, Jesus says, come to me. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for the simplicity of this message. 
and I, I've heard this message so many times and I have missed the point. I have missed the point because my life doesn't always fit me very well. And I know it. And it's because I'm not living the life you would have for me. And I'm, I'm gonna guess my friends here feel the same way. Holy Spirit, will you teach us to make Jesus the point? Would you help us to shred, to burn, to destroy the list of religious chores that we have made or that someone has made for us? And would you set us free? Would you remember that when we're yoked to you, we walk side by side with you? You do the heavy lifting and you just show us how to follow your example. I pray for my friends here today that don't know you, Jesus. Would you help them to make you the point? to surrender their way to yours and to experience the freedom that comes from knowing you. Jesus, we love you. You are the point. We ask this in your name.